0: so welcome back to the armchair trader podcast and uh today we're actually talking about the space industry um which is something i know a lot of people are are very interested in um and it's certainly a sector that is moving very quickly indeed Uh, so uh, on the program today we've got aaron burnett who's the founder of spaced ventures in the us who's going to be telling us um, a little bit more about what's going on in the sector so welcome to the podcast, Aaron.
1: You know, thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's cool to be able to, you know, have these opportunities to share our story and, you know, share what's going on in space. It's always fun to talk about.
0: So to kick off with, can you just give us a, a sort of a quick rundown on Spaced Ventures itself, what it is?
1: Yeah. So, you know, Spaced Ventures really is a response to what we've seen in um, the industry with some of the, what feels like there's a lot of money going into the industry and there is, um, but not a lot of money going to many young early stage startups. And, and essentially what we wanted to do was bring in the public to opportunities for early stage, high risk, you know, potentially high reward investments and in private opportunities um, utilizing a regulation crowdfunding exemption that exists in the U.S. And there's one in the U.K. as well. I don't know what it's called exactly, but we call it Reg Um So really, this is an opportunity to get any. Investor, accredited, -accredited, non-accredited, involved in private opportunities, specifically in space. And space is difficult enough that um, there's so many different technologies going on in a you know a very harsh environment involved. (laughs) So um, you know we needed to be able to focus on it to be able to really provide what we feel are the best um, you know opportunities in space for early stage space startups.
0: And this is something when people think about space. I mean, you know, sending a man to the moon, for example fabulously expensive project um even things like the spacex and virgin galactic you see guys like richard branson involved in that again there's a lot of talk about just how expensive it is to get get those sorts of um high profile projects off the ground um, literally and figuratively um when you talk about crowdfunding we're, we're not really talking about huge companies or huge technologies here why, why? Why did you decide to go with the crowdfunding model specifically? And, and is it really possible for a small company to make a difference in this space? Yeah,
1: so th- th- this is a very good question. So we have, um, you know, a couple of nuances. talk about the industry first, right? So the industry right now used to be all governments, nah, then governments and billionaires. And what we're right now in is transition away from, you know, strictly kind of a governance and uh, governments and billionaires space into other investors, and uh, we're really trying to accelerate the retail side of that or the the public uh, side of that as well. But um, so that's that's kind of the nuance of what's happening. But honestly, a lot of the movements that um, SpaceX have made and other companies have made to lower launch costs have really created a lot of opportunity. Um, things like Starship, I, I don't think many people really understand what kind of effect that can have now. It's not flying orbitally yet. It's not, you know, tr- delivering cargo. Um, but given SpaceX's strong track record, there's a lot of reasons to believe that they'll do it. Um, it's just a matter of time. And uh, but the, the amount that they can get to orbit, fully reusable, and uh, the ability to, you know, deliver a lot of payloads orbit with from a few different places whether that's in you know Boca Chica Brownsville area in Texas or off the cape in Florida um there's a lot of possibilities there regardless of that even if that doesn't happen i mean we've seen launch costs dramatically drop from like 75,000 plus per kilogram down to closer to sub 10 sub 5 in some cases depending on if how much you're ride sharing and things like that um and then there's smaller launchers like rocket lab which You know, I think they publish maybe like 20K or something like that, but they can be 20 to, you know, 50K kind of per kilogram. I mean, you're you're talking about still dramatic drops in cost. Um, And so what that means is, you know, getting there, getting to orbit and putting something in orbit is actually quite a bit cheaper, which is creating a proliferation of orbital, um, kind of an orbital economy. Right now, what is mostly up there are, small constellations um from you know Want to talk about these smaller uh, companies there are small constellations like planet labs or what have you that are essentially looking at earth gathering data and then selling that data data is a very easy to Relatively easy to sell, sort of thing. So if you can just have a sensor that happens to be, you know, in space and collect data that no one else can get, you probably have an uh, some kind of market, right? I'm oversimplifying that, you know, <laughs> value proposition there. Um, but the the data market has been, I, I would argue, almost you know, ro- fully robust at this point. But it's 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 been growing and is growing continually. You've got people like um, Umbra capella doing synthetic aperture radar which is uh you know uh, using an interesting technology that allows for some pretty granular um essentially images using radar um and so there's some really cool opportunities there around selling that data uh so you know all that to say kind of wrapping it all together right um you know the industry is moving towards a much more accessible model where small companies can actually make a decent impact um Having said that, it's still much more expensive than, let's say, a SaaS company or a software company. You might take fifty thousand dollars to get your product up and out to market and maybe start making a little initial revenue or something. Um, Whereas, and and I, you know, you know, I'm thinking here as broad strokes, but if you are a space company, you're a hardware company. So, hardware companies are already harder, and then you're also doing things that are, you know, highly bespoke in most cases. There's not just a there are some companies moving towards off-the-shelf type models for you know space hardware, but a lot of them build it a lot themselves, or they'll use like you know a kind of a form factor that's kind of standardized, like a cube form factor, uh, you know, cubesat form factor. But then they all the guts are their own thing, so they're they're building kind of bespoke things. They're you know testing them in radiation testing and vibration testing and all this stuff, and then they put it up in orbit, and so it does tend to be a fairly still cost intensive sort of process now what would have been maybe 10 50 million before is now one to five and so um to get a product up and start getting commercial revenue can take between one and five million for most space companies if we're talking about going to the to the moon that's a little bit different we <laughs> you talking about getting into orbit and having a business one to five million is totally viable now. Um, so sorry for the long answer, but, you know, the industry at large is moving towards a much more viable uh, space for startups. And um, and then, you know, crowdfunding, plugging that in is just, you know, one to five million is much more accessible via crowdfunding than, let's say, a uh, 10 to 50 million or whatever would have been even just a few years ago.
0: How would you say the sector is doing now? Is it in good health? I mean, it sounds like there are a lot more companies there now. I mean, a lot more smaller companies, but overall, as the, the private sector within space technologies, would you describe that as booming at the moment? You know, I,
1: you know, I do. I, you probably are not going to find many more, Big, bigger optimists for, for space than me. So everything should be taken with a grain of salt, of course. Um, you know, I, I don't really think about shorting space companies very often, uh, because of that. there are definitely, there's definitely snake oil out there. And I'll, I'll tell you that, I mean, space is fun. So with that, with they're kind of that cool factor that draws a lot of people that don't have much depth. And they will just put the space shine on it and be fine with selling that. So that means there are those out there. Um, but as far as like the overall industry and you know, most of the industry, there's a lot of cool opportunities happening. Um, there are there, So like my next thing here for 2022, maybe 20, maybe creeps in 2023 is the proliferation of on-orbit services. This is kind of an exciting thing. And and, um, this is an example of some of these subsectors within space as a larger industry that are just kind of coming out of the blue. This didn't exist, you know, five years ago. Um, So right now on-orbit servicing is, you know, essentially most rockets uh, and satellites, they're essentially like a one-trip thing, right? They, They send them up there, they run out of fuel, they burn them up. (laughs) <laughs> or they just float. They turn into space junk. They're, they're not supposed to most of the time, but they can. Um, so it's, it's the equivalent of like if you were to buy a car, run out of a tank of gas, and leave it on the side of the road. That's kind of the way the industry is run right now. There's a lot of inefficiency. Um, and so there, what that means is a lot of opportunity to improve that efficiency. So there's companies like OrbitFab, which, like, if I were to have said this five years ago, people would think this is insane or, or just kind of like a science fiction sort of thing. But there's companies like OrbitFab who have gas stations in space. They already have them. Um, it's a smaller one that's, you know, but actually starting to do, you know, have some transactions. And they're building a much larger one now. That's a, that is an enablement for, you know, a company that has a satellite in space to double or triple or, you know, increase by 50% the lifespan of their satellite just by refueling, right? Uh, Much more difficult than I just made it sound, just connecting a satellite and refueling and all that. But um, in in around that, you have companies that are doing, you know, monitoring services, you have companies that are doing kind of grappling and, you know, repair services, you have companies that are doing more of the space junk thing has got a lot of buzz relatively a lot of buzz around you know removing space debris so you know deorbiting things that can't be deorbited by themselves um it, you know all that kind of stuff that that's a growing economy i think you're going to see quite a bit more buzz of how that happens and what's cool about that is like i said 5 years ago the idea that a company's asset in orbit would do business with another company's asset in orbit you know, obviously the money transacts on the ground, but they don't really interact <laughs> with Earth other than that. That's pretty new. Um, and there's going to be a lot more movement towards that. So from a growth perspective, there's a lot of opportunities. From like an investment perspective, uh, we suspect there's going to be a lot of consolidation. It's been being said for a while, um, but there's a lot of companies that are building products. So like the world's small, uh, smallest uh, hull mini hull effect thruster, right? That's a really cool company that's got this thing. And they're selling it. Um, it. It could be likely that they get bought up because of that thing. Even if they want to be a billion dollar company, they may just sell that piece, and you know another company brings them in. So there's a lot of exit opportunities, um, even on the smaller end. Even if that's like a two to ten x kind of return on a you know like a product company gets brought into a larger company, and then the the bigger you know we we feel that the bigger uh, opportunities are kind of the longer longer term infrastructure sort of plays. Um, so SpaceX is an infrastructure like a railroad to space. You have uh, OrbitFab gas station, like you know, actual fuel infrastructure in space and, and things like that. That's what we tend to look at when we think about big opportunities long term that will survive any kind of bubble or anything like that.
0: From what you've been saying, it sounds like um, a lot of the industry is is very much focused on just getting satellites up and keeping satellites up. Would, would you say that that's fair at the moment, that that that's where that's where the private sector is really is, is really focused on? Or is there other areas like passenger traffic, for example? Well, you know, there
1: are there is passenger, you know, tourism is a thing. I, I just don't normally bring it up as much because it gets a lot of coverage, <laughs> uh, you know, so it's it's been got it has gotten a lot of coverage. But you have folks like Blue Origin um, and SpaceX even does that uh, as well as, you know, um, Virgin Galactic, where, and that's it's, it is an important piece because it really starts to open people's minds like just to see that there's there's you know a well-known overview effect that comes along with it um you know that that tourism will have its own kind of you know bubble uh, of uh bubbles the wrong term there but you know have its own little sphere of you know subsectors around it that support it um, but uh yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of different things generally speaking now one way of thinking about it is and, and I, I try and remind people that space is really not an industry. It's a location. It's a, you know, it's, it, we view it as in the relative near future, it's, it's its own economy, right? Because it's just a location where industry takes place. So like we said, you know, gas stations or whatever that are recently, you know, that could just be happening in space. Um, you wouldn't have thought about that a little while ago, but you know, in theory down the road, you just have McDonald's or fast food or whatever in space too, who knows, Um, But that's maybe, maybe far down the line. But as that happens, you tend to need things to move, you know, by location. So Earth obviously has robust economies, you know, it makes sense that, you know, you're going to move from Earth to low Earth orbit, medium Earth orbit, and kind of out the next thing that's happening right now, which is pushed a little bit more by government contracts, is the lunar economy. Which is you know there's quite a you know quite a bit of you know money being pushed towards landers and things like that, Um, but that is happening. They those might be more of like a five to ten year kind of cycle. Um, It's hard to know exactly. Uh, I have some people telling me it's less than five, and some people tell me it's more than ten. So you know, take everything with a grain of salt. But that's a lunar economy that will develop as well. But it's going to be generally speaking, what happens is. You know, the government and, you know, less return centric folks will push that um, as the the, um, the edges of the envelope a little bit further. Right. So um, yeah, I would suspect as lunar becomes more privatized, then you move to the government pushing more towards, you know, back and forth with Mars. And as Mars becomes more privatized, so on and so on. Right. Um, and, and that's a logical approach. It, who knows what will happen in, you know, 20, 30 years from now. But, yeah, that's the way I think about it.
0: Are there any areas that you think are currently under underfunded and where there's a there's a real opportunity for private capital to make a difference? In general,
1: you know, there is a lot of there's just underfunding. It's kind of there's several different things, and it's heavily dependent on your theses, right? Uh, one of the things that we like is like compute on orbit um, because it doesn't sound very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, computing on orbit, it, 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 we have this trillion dollar industry that is compute hardware, right? AWSs and all this stuff, you know, big data centers that all exist on Earth. Nothing like that exists in orbit. Like what, what exists in space right now is people building their own. It's essentially back in the 70s. People are still in their garages building their own, you know, specific computers <laughs> to go do stuff in space where you can imagine it's quite a bit of catch up to happen there. Um But there's reasons for that. You need all the stuff that you still need on Earth for compute to work, but you would also need the, um, you know, all the, there's radiation effects to take into account. There's thermal management issues to take into account. And then there's like a list that's three times that long (laughs) that, you know, you have to take into account when you're building a computer for space. But that makes everything more efficient in space. That makes talk about um, if you had a much smarter computer or a much smarter brain on your satellite in space, you'd be able to dock much more efficiently with, a let's say, a gas station or, you know, grab a piece of debris much more efficiently. Now, all these companies right now are building their own craft to do all that. Right. And they kind of have to build their own AI and all this other stuff. So there are companies who are trying to turn that into something that would be um, more kind of like a service like you would just if you were building a company today I don't go build my own data center and buy a rack some people might say you should Uh, but you know most people just go to AWS or Azure and you know buy some space and you know put all their stuff there right so there's an ease of you know net new innovation that can happen if you have that kind of infrastructure in place. So there's several companies attacking that angle. Um, I do think orbital servicing has a lot of unknown or or, or, or untapped efficiency opportunities. But I would say at large, the big thing is early stage companies just are underfunded in general. And the reason is is because there's a lot of money that feels like it's going to space, but the last report I looked at, so, you know, double check me on this, but I think the last report I looked at was something like 70 or 80% of all that money went to less than 10 companies from 2021. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of crazy to think that, you know, that it's, it's heavily top loaded. Um, so even though it's growing net new, it's really going back into people that are just putting more money back into their portfolio companies to kind of make sure that they win, right? Um, the early stage companies... Still a lot of opportunity, a lot of innovation to happen, a lot of risk, right? Uh, but that's kind of one of the reasons why we like the crowdfunding model, because individually, small checks, and we're talking checks that are less than 25 k down to as little as $100. It's much easier to risk a $100 check individually um, and take a flyer, right, On, and potentially a big winner um, and have, you know, a 1,000 people bring that together or 10,000 people bring, you know, $100 checks together um, and potentially have a nice win as a whole than it would be to, you know, one VC who has LPs to answer to, to write the million dollar check, right? Uh, That says, well, you're not, you don't even have revenue yet. How can I take that risk on you? So that's where we see a real opportunity for, especially retail investors, because most, unfortunately, most venture models, they have to take, They either have to take a lot of risk or they would just won't take it. Um, And so there's a lot of innovation that's sitting on the sidelines. And as I mentioned, one of the nice things about this is, is the industry being early enough is there's a lot of opportunities for roll ups. So while they may not be the billion dollar unicorn exit, you kind of have a nice opportunity for people to be buying out these companies and they'll be relatively quick wins, even if they're smaller, like let's say a 2X or a 5X. Um, So there's going to be quite a few of those opportunities as well. So if you can kind of get a good sniffer to say, you know, maybe this is a billion dollar company, but maybe the low end is it's a product company, you know, then you're kind of, you know, you're kind of hedging your bets there a little bit. Um, So that's the way I think about it. You know, early stage is a lot of opportunity because the markets are, in theory, infinite. (laughs) So you can kind of really start to see where things go. Um, You know, if you can take that risk, if you can handle the liquidity risk, long-term liquidity here is space is is longer than most, you know, software markets. But it's not, it's by the way, much shorter than it was just like I said, five, 10 years ago, you're talking now, most people can get up into orbit within one to two years. Uh, It used to be much, it used to be longer. (laughs) Um, Some people are getting into orbit within months um, from like, you know, they get a little bit of money, then they can book their flight, and they're in they're up within months. And so that that is happening, too. So that whole paradigm of getting, you know, to revenue faster is happening. But as far as like scaled kind of, you know, markets and things like that, you would want to be thinking about these are probably multi-year, five-year, 10-year kind of time horizons, depending on what exactly their business is.
0: And in terms of the likely exit, it's it's most likely that You'd see a small company like this get bought out by a bigger company that's interested in their technology or or what it is that they do. It's kind of that this is where they're at their early pioneering stage. If they get established, then that's when you're as an investor, that's when you're seeing your exit because that's when it's it's being bought out, at, as you say, you know, times two, times five initial valuation
1: yeah and, and that's not all of them I, if you you know i think there's i know that there's data out there that will t- show you, you know what are most of the exits right most of the exits do take up this like 20 to 50 million that might be old now maybe they're <laughs> maybe that's inflated like every all the valuations and stuff has but most exits tend to be in this you know kind of sub 50 million category just because that's the nature of the beast It's it's a little bit easier to write you know a big company to do 10, $50 million checks and bring them together into a nice product portfolio or something um, than to just go all the way public, right? And, and, and hit you know hit all the lights green and go all the way <laughs> public. And, 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 and it's just going to be a, a smaller chance. But having said that, it, it really does depend on what the company can or, or, or even their aspirations are, by the way. you know We have many people who are totally fine With They may have a billion dollar company on their hands, but they're totally fine with being bought out for a hundred million and then going in and and helping to build that billion dollar company within a larger company. Um, So that can be a founder thing. Sometimes they come out and state what their goals are and I'm going to do this and you get a good sense that that's what they want to do. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes you just have to stay flexible. And then the other thing is like sometimes it's just the business, right? If they have one product and don't have really plans to really expand that, or they don't really have a roadmap to take on a bigger market, you can probably start to calculate in your own head. There's probably not a lot of opportunity for them to take a hundred percent of this market and then be a billion dollar company. They're probably going to you know, be a smaller player and maybe a good buyout opportunity. Um, but um, it, a lot of that depends on go to market strategies and, and all that other stuff. So when it comes down to it, it's a, it's, it's a depends sort of answer, um, but there are some that you probably get a better sense of. These are potentially massive markets that they're playing in. And then, then others are, these are potentially more product-style markets.
0: I remember many years ago, I went to the Kennedy Space Center, and one of the things that really struck me was that they had um, a museum there that was showing examples of the technology that was developed originally for the Apollo missions um, that then ended up having applications outside of, even aviation. Yeah. But in, in other other walks of life, that technology was suddenly useful. Is there an opportunity with some of these companies where they're working on something that is initially designed just for space, but that that technology could actually end up being quite useful in in, in other markets? And that way, the, the value of the company goes up as well?
1: Yeah, and I'll give you a very specific example. We have, uh, this is a deal that's on our platform. And so it's all top of mind for me. So Take it with a grain of salt. There are other examples here. There's a company called Infinite Composites that's raising on our platform. They are making a um, linerless composite pressure vessel. So the industry right now, th- think gas tank, you know, for whatever, right? The industry right now, you could imagine the tank that goes in a barbecue or what have you, right? It's just like metal. It's super cheap. You know, as you, bec- as you need more efficiency, so more airplanes, spacecraft, things like that, you want to make that as power as strong but as lightweight as possible right i'm I'm oversimplifying that math there but that's essentially what you're looking to do and so when you know infinite composites they they were able to figure out how to take an industry that was essentially wrapping composite material around metal tanks um, to reduce the metal size you know so reduce strength uh, or sorry reduce um, weight but still have strength there they were able to figure out how to take the metal metal tank liner out entirely Right. So now it's just composite materials, um, which actually has a lot of other benefits in addition to being lightweight. Um, And so they're one of the more efficient in the industry. They will tell you in the universe. um, And and I've seen some of the numbers, but, you know, (laughs) I'm not a scientist to be able to, you know, you know, say that's not real or not. So but, you know, this these tanks, part of some of the people they're talking to are not just spacecraft. Right. They're talking to they've had conversations with SpaceX's of the world and NASA's of the world on spacecraft to take fuel um, for spacecraft. But they're also a very nice potential opportunity for a Boeing or a large aircraft maker, because something I didn't even think about. But they were telling me was, you know, those little, you know, the air tanks, right, the little oxygen tanks for everyone, you know, little little cord that comes down. They all have a little oxygen tank. Everyone has their own. Um, It starts to add up (laughs) over time uh, with weight and things like that. So creating efficiency in an airliner is much more important. Um, So, you know, that is one example of taking something where efficiency is like super important in space to where it's just slightly less important in aircraft to then moving down. And one of the things that they're looking at is the hydrogen economy, right? Moving. If you have, Hydrogen fuel cells, uh, you know, in cars, you still want to have an efficiency factor there. W- why have an extra big tank if you don't need it that's uh, extra weight and all that other stuff? So there's going to be, you know, opportunities like that. It essentially is almost always that way. There's some things that are so specialized for space that it doesn't work. But um, there are a lot of examples of crossover technology where, because of the efficiency required in space, the margins are there to solve the problem. And then as you start to figure out scale, the margins come down on on the efficiency and then it just goes mass market. That's essentially the example of everything that's ever happened with space, including things like, you know, the camera in in the iPhone, right? Or or all the phones, essentially the miniaturized cameras and things like that came from an a lot of the core technology came from space, right? They didn't start there in the, in the phones They then, you know, got pulled in because people could learn from you know, technology came from space. So it's it's one of these things that happens. Materials is another one, right? Um, some materials, you can only even figure out how to build in space. You need zero G. So there's companies like Space Forge and Varda and others that are doing manufacturing in space, um, where in a zero G environment, you can do better, all sorts of things, right? So there's, there's a lot of these opportunities for improving life on earth, uh, not to mention the I mean, just the data is a massive improvement of life on Earth, uh, Weather data is a big one. Right. Um, but, you know, that's kind of obvious because that's why they're going up there. But even technology does naturally kind of, you know, just make our life better on Earth.
0: And um, just finally, could you give us um, an example? of? So I know you've mentioned one already, but some of the other other companies you've got raising money with space ventures at the moment.
1: Yeah, so right now we have three, and we'll probably be doubling that number in the next two months. Uh, but yeah, so the three we on our platform right now are Exospace. They are, and this is an example of compute in space that I mentioned. Um, again, fresh, top of mind kind of examples when you're diving into that. Um, working on machine vision in space. So, you know, being able to do that in space is very difficult it's machine vision is hard, compute intensive. So being able to do that in an environment where you don't have as much power and all that stuff is a, is a hard thing to figure out. Uh, like I said, infinite composites with, with tanks, we have another co- company called Com- uh, cosmic shielding corporation. They have a material that's been perfected over the last uh, few decades it actually comes out of originally of a NASA, um, IP that then has been perfected, uh, that can create material that, you know, can shield, whether that's astronauts or computers or any kind of, you know, precious uh, cargo payload, um, you know, it's a shielding, radiation shielding that allows them to do that. And it's also, by the way, you know, by the nature of being an advanced material, it can also be stronger than Kevlar. If put in the the right formation, it can be, you know, all these cool stuff. And so, you know, they're looking at shielding spacecraft and potentially even building spacecraft out of this material. So those are the three companies that are on the platform right now. We just launched in... Uh, September of 2021. So this is all very new. (laughs) Um, But we've been in the industry for, you know, uh, just doing this for two years in in preparation and talking to all the companies. Um, So when I say it feels like small numbers, but we are actively talking with hundreds of startups. So it's not like there's only three and we just found the three, right? There are quite a few more um, companies that we can't even help companies. uh, We can only help U.S.-based companies for Per regulations is one of the limitations of the regulations right now. So there's a lot of great companies in the UK and other places as well that we want to help, but we can't. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities um, in, in the private investment sphere.
0: Well, thanks very much indeed for coming on the program today. Um, can, can, where can people find out more about Space Ventures itself and, and what you're doing?
1: So our, you know, our website, obviously, with the deals and, and, and a lot of the information uh, that I've given is uh, spacedventures.com, all one word. Um, and you can just you know, go check that out. We uh, put a lot of effort into uh, making it easy and and, and understandable and things like that. And then obviously you can follow me. I I do uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. So uh, Aaron Burnett on LinkedIn or
0: on Twitter, you should be able to find me there relatively easily. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed for your time today, Aaron. It was fun chatting. You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Make sure you visit our website, www.thearmchairtrader.com for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there.